Today on Foodstuffs. Jess talks to a pair of former social workers using the skills they learned back home to help their peers adjust to life as new Canadians. And Brian catches up with a TV star turned multi-platform vegan entrepreneur. You know, everyone kept saying, you should do YouTube now, you should do YouTube now. And I was like, no, YouTube's for chumps. Like, I was like, YouTube is for like... This is, I don't I think. On live TV. Yeah, I was just National on live TV, TV on this, like, yeah. this mega international brand. Yeah, interviewing celebrities. You know, your ego's like, I'm not going on YouTube. Yeah, yeah it's happened with me. My friends came at Thursday and uh, he told me, I, I want meals, I want to meet. I'm very hungry and it's very, very delicious. I want to test them. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's finished before two days. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and culture and their intersections. I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. This is the last episode of season two of Foodstuffs, Brian. But I have so much more to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, this isn't the last episode forever, just season two. Okay, yeah, that's right. (laughs) All right, so it seems only fitting that we're here at the end of our sophomore season and that we look back at everything that we've accomplished together. You're getting very sentimental here, <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you? Sure, sure. <laughs> We've been talking about the strong ties we see in the food movement and in food spaces for the last few episodes. Seeing as we spent most of this season in Toronto, we are talking about the Toronto food long stairs. Shout out Vanessa Lingyu, um, in particular. But those are ties that do cross borders sometimes. Yes, and thinking about Megan Telpner connecting us with Taro Isacopola, the Finn in California. <laughs> uh, but it started right from episode one of this season. Yeah, I had no idea how much that interview with Christine Flynn. A.K.A. Chef Jacques Lemaire. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that meeting Christine would lead us to the number of people that we did. I think about Kyla Zanardi in the Women's Hospitality League that we did on episode 15. And then I interviewed Sam Lee from Pilot Coffee in episode 16, also through meeting Christine and there's a ton of other people that I've met as well that I'm looking forward to chatting with more and that was sort of a constant theme you're mentioning a lot of women we talked a lot about gender in the food industry mm-hmm. and and we spoke a lot about um, uh, about the food industry in general as well yeah like food service for sure mm-hmm. um, so Iran Marom there was chefs in general, I guess, Omar Jahangir from the Homegrown Dinner Project, and then, of course, Christine, um, and how that her Instagram account with Chef Jacques Lemaire plays to industry people and right. industry folk. Whether or not sake was going to make headway outside of Japanese restaurants going forward. We, again, talked a lot about access, though I think we tackled this from a few new angles um, this season. Our interviews with Second Harvest and Black Creek Community Farm centered around giving underprivileged communities access to fresh food. Cater Toronto and the Newcomer uh, Kitchen help Canadians by granting access to resources. Newcomer Kitchen is today, and we will get to that a little bit later. Um, Technology was another theme for the season, the 3D printer and laser cut food from MakeLab, my interview with Foodora, changing delivery with their app. Um, And tech is going to play a big role in our first interview today as well. Yeah, that's right. We're not done yet. Our first guest is someone you may know if you watched much music anytime between 2010 and 2014. Lauren Toyota was the host of New Music Live, the MMVAs, after Degrassi on MTV Canada, amongst many other programs on Much and MTV. 
She is also the creator of Hot for Food, a vegan recipe blog turned YouTube and Instagram powerhouse. And she was once upon a time a roommate of yours. That is true, actually. This is way <laughs> back in 2008 or so when I was running a production company out of a house with some friends. And Lauren was dating a good friend of mine. And at the time, they needed a place to live for a while. So they both moved into the house. So that's how I sort of uh, get, got to meet Lauren. So what was going on for Lauren at that point in her career? Yeah, it was actually a really interesting time in her career. She had just been hosting Going Coastal, which was a long-running music program for Much Music out in BC. And her and Nova Scotia, for the record. Right, sorry, yes. <laughs> Both coasts. <laughs> Both coasts, yes. <laughs> uh, but she was based out in BC, and it looked like her career was really taking off. And then all of a sudden, the program was canceled, and she was laid off. And her career that looked like it was sort of rocketing off and she was going to have this wonderful life. All of a sudden, there was all this uncertainty. And Lauren was trying really hard, but you could see it was tough. Yeah. And maybe actually we'll let her pick it up at that point. All right. That sounds good. Here is Brian in conversation with Lauren Toyota. So that was the first time I like really lost a job, got laid off. It was a traumatizing experience because I was on this path thinking, great, I'm going to be on network television forever and I'm going to get bumped up in the company and I'm going to move to Toronto and I'm going to be a, a VJ like, you know, like George Strombo, like that was my dream. And then that got pulled out from under me. So I, I had to move home. I had to move to Toronto. I was really butthurt. I was really mad. I was mad. Um, cause it wasn't going the way I wanted it to. So that was hard for me for about a couple of years. Cause I also thought maybe I should just give up. Like I'm not even well known enough to really make it in Toronto, but I even considered at that time, maybe I'll just drop all this TV stuff and go to cooking school. Like that was a, a realistic thought. So cooking was in my mind as a backup. Um, even though I, at that time hadn't started the blog, hadn't done anything of but I just thought, well, that's the most logical backup for me. It's the only other thing I really like doing is eating and cooking. And uh, I started transitioning into a vegan diet and uh, started experimenting with making things that I liked, but vegan versions of those. And then I just started wanting to take pictures of those things and put them online. So I created a WordPress blog called HofferFoodBlog.com. And I seem to recall, and I might have yeah. this wrong, <laughs> but I seem to recall that part of that um, catalyst for starting that blog was that you had gone on an audition for some food host and, and they said, Hey, we really like you, but we don't see you connected to food. Like you might, food might be an important part of your life, but for the public, they don't see that connection. And, and that was sort of your part of your thing. Well, maybe I, if I want to have food as part of my career, maybe I do need to sort of push that out. Do you remember that? I love that you remember this because I didn't. And as you're telling me again, because you prompted me before, I was like, what are you talking about? I couldn't remember. Now I'm remembering. You're right. That was a catalyst because yeah, my brand, right. which I never at that time didn't think of that. Talking about yourself as a brand was not relevant in 2008, no, 2009, really wasn't. Wasn't. which is crazy. Right. Yeah. So, well, like that was just, that was just pre Twitter even. Yeah. I yeah. Right? So like that whole personal branding business. Personal branding wasn't something I ever thought about when I worked in television for those first few years out west in Vancouver. And then yeah. because of the diet change and then that audition thing and people telling me that, I thought, well, okay, now that I want to go vegan, that can also be my like pathway through to actually doing this and have it be relevant and real. Like I'm actually making a change right. here. Let's document it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was something. That's exactly where uh, yeah. I wanted to go to. Is this sort of the why vegan, which I think you sort of talked about. Did you see? I mean, part of it was that, like, you had a personal connection, but you, did you also see maybe an opportunity that this was a underserved market, an underserved audience that like wasn't being spoken to a little? It seemed like there was a bit of a buzz, people talking right. about it, but still very small, not the way it is now. And someone who was vegetarian for a long time as well, and then back to being omnivore, I was always interested in vegetarian food, in vegetarian cooking, always kind of complaining that people weren't doing it right, everything was bland, it wasn't interesting to me, and I wanted to kind of try to make it more interesting, yeah. Veganism still, to this day, sort of, it's a a divisive thing. There are some people that are like, really really against it and what are you doing Mm -hmm. like identifying yourself as a vegan especially as a public person how does that change how people are are viewing you and like what do you sort of take on by saying by being sort of a a champion of that vegan movement or whatever well I certainly wasn't a champion for the movement or the lifestyle or the ethics and morals behind it at the beginning because I didn't want to get into those divisive conversations I didn't want people to you know, back me into a corner with all these questions because I wasn't educated enough to answer them. But I had just started watching, you know, certain documentaries and reading books about vegan lifestyle and all of that, the eth- the ethics involved and stuff with, with factory farming and all these things. So I was just dabbling in it. And then right kind of after I started the blog, only six months in or so, I ended up getting back into television and working at yeah. Much Music. So then I really did become a bigger public person uh, than I was before. And I didn't talk about being vegan in the media. I mean, it wasn't something that identified my brand at the time. I just, it wasn't, that wasn't relevant. That was what I did in my personal time. That's how I ate, but I didn't talk about it. I wasn't ready to fight that fight. Right around that time, you had started the blog Mm -hmm. and started to post pictures and, and like you say, sort of explore that vegan lifestyle a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then boom, all of a sudden, you're back in much music now in a much more prominent role. You're hosting Much Live. You're hosting After Degrassi. You're working at MTV Canada. Yeah. You're hosting MMVAs. Yeah. But at the time, you really are, like you say, living your dream. Like yeah. you're, and, yeah. and not just that, but like even the Degrassi thing. Like I know you were a Degrassi Yeah, I was a Degrassi fan. Up, right? And now here you are mm-hmm. hosting. A, a, and that a came a little, about that. yeah, that came a couple a of years bit. after. Yeah, exactly. So I was there for four years, four and a half or something. And... Uh, I'm thankful for how it all happened. I love everything I did. It was really fun. And once the energy was kind of that now behind Much Music, 2010, 2011, the show was picking up steam. People were coming back, coming down to watch the show, hanging out outside. I got to do the MMVAs like that first year I was there in 2011. So that's when I was like, once 2011 came and I was doing MMVAs, I was like, okay, like this is happening. I'm in. They trust me. This is all good. But still, the um, regimes at that place changed three or four times while I was there. And whenever that happens, you really don't know who's going to come in and say, why are we spending this money on this show? And then the uh, fateful day, almost two years (laughs) ago, we figured to this day almost, yeah, um, where all of a sudden all kinds of programming canceled, including long running program, including the programs that you were on. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, here you are again, laid off, out of a job when you were it really seemed like things were at a high level what was that like going through that that time so for about a year before that actually happened i was in full like predictive mode that this is what's going to happen okay yeah but when is the axe coming down and we were all talking about and we all kind of knew and uh 
at that point too, I was full blown into kind of working hot for food about a year before this happened, like doing the blog. I had rebranded. I had brought in my boyfriend, John, to kind of yep. the, the brand and we were doing Instagram and actively posting recipes online and all this stuff. So that had started and my mind was already over there. So I was kind of, I was like, uh, this is going to happen, but I'm never going to quit because I might as well just see this through because I know it's going to happen. I'm going to get a package. This is what happens when you get laid off from a big company. They package mm -hmm. you out, you get money, you're taken care of, no big deal. It's sad, but I was so excited. And now, like you said, you've had an extra few years sort of uh, to build up yeah. That, that awareness of you and how people know you now, people like you, you have fans. Yeah, right? I felt confident because of, because of that. Were, were you like definitive then? It's going to be hot for food. You know, everyone kept saying, you should do YouTube now. You should do YouTube now. And I was like, no, YouTube's for chumps. Like I was like, YouTube is for like, th this is, I don't I think. I was just on live TV. Yeah, I was just National on live TV, TV on this like, yeah. this mega international job. brand. Yeah, interviewing celebrities, you know, your ego's like, I'm not going on YouTube. Yeah. But everyone kept saying it. And I was like, okay, I'll just record something and see what happens. Okay. So it was great because we got on board doing YouTube with Kin Community almost right from the get-go. I didn't, the only reason I did YouTube and started posting consistently and actually like got motivated to do it was because Kin Community. Now Kin yeah. Community, now that is, would they be, I don't know in this world how you would call it. They're, they're not a publisher. Yeah, they're called an they're MCN, a, which is a multi-channel network, or right, now you're okay. hearing multi-channel platforms. Right. M, uh, M, MCP. Is that the right? Multi, multi-platform network. MPN. MCN and MPN. Okay. So that's yeah. the model now in this digital YouTube space is that all these creators get signed, you know, creators get signed to an MCN and they kind of help grow and monetize your channel. Uh, from various levels, people get signed on really early on. Some people get signed on once they're really popular and then they use that support as like to elevate them. They, for me anyway, mainly what they do is they bring you brand deals. Mm -hmm. They're that, they're almost like an agent slash manager, that middle person between you and working with brands and brands are used to working with agencies in the advertising world. So this is like a digital agency right. more or less. So that helped. And then they brought the brand partnerships to the table, but what all we cared about was making good content. And then that's what our sell was because we were one of the few vegan, if not, there's not, there's lots of food content on the internet, but right. not all of it is good quality. And right. that's what bothered me. And I was like, we need to make quality content. That will be our selling feature. Like we want to make ad agency style food content so that it looks like, you know, I had this vision of maybe we're going to be like a plant-based advertising agency and we can make content for other people. Okay. That's kind of what I thought originally. And then it became our own content because okay, yeah. um, I wanted to help all the vegan brands and all the vegan people doing all these great things yeah. that weren't creating, they just weren't creating good content. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can do video, but like yep. we figured it out and we liked what we were doing. And we thought we can sell this. So that's what Kin sold to this first brand deal is like, yeah, they don't have a lot of subscribers, but they have a really highly engaged subscriber base. Plus, they've got bigger platforms on Instagram and whatnot that we can cross-promote. And look at how good of quality their videos are. Plus, they liked our personality. So we had personality and we had quality on our side. Numbers didn't matter. And then that's how the first brand deal happened. Is It was this brand's first exploration into this. So they were like, cool, right. these look like the people we should trust because yeah. we don't know what we're doing. What I want to know is for mm -hmm. the, there's a lot of people that like this idea of, oh, I'll yeah. be a YouTube star. Or I'll yeah. be a social media star. But I don't think they maybe appreciate the work and the sort of the business side yeah. of what goes into that. Can you talk about yeah. your, sort of your transition to sort of 
taking ownership for that and realizing, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, it's not enough to just get popular. I have to make this Mm -hmm. a, a business. It was really overwhelming to me to have to think of like, how do I make money off this website? Like without compromising the content, without driving Mm -hmm. people away. And we had just started building an audience. So I kept ads off the site for a long time. And then, you know, Google became my best friend because I just could look up how to do anything and what other people did by Googling it. And then, you know, I had a lot of people telling me what they thought I should do. It was was a lot of people being like, you should do this, you should do this. Or what about YouTube? But no one had done it and said to me, yeah, this is... This worked. This works. Nobody. So I was like, all right. How do I filter through all that? I'm going to figure it out and do it. I was like, I'm sick of talking about this. Like, I just, I hate talking about whatever, like talking, talking, talking until you, you finally are unmotivated to do something. So I was like, no, I just have to keep on this momentum of I'm doing, so I'm doing the blog, I'm doing the blog, I'm doing all the social, I'm doing all the social. What makes the most sense to add into this? Fine, YouTube. So one day John and I just picked up our, our camera and we had a camera we were taking, we started, we had just started taking good photos with this DSLR camera and we're like, let's play with the video settings. And I I always had a vision of how I wanted my videos to look. I was really just following my own creative instincts. I wasn't really looking much to what other people were doing because I didn't want to be copying or I didn't want that to seep into my head. But now we were connected through Instagram with all these other people. Mostly Instagram was like the way I found out about everything because there was this amazing vegan community on there. And if you tag all your photos with the right hashtags, like everyone finds yeah, you and like, you gotta, you gotta find those hashtags. And they're, right? But they're people are hungry for this food porn on Instagram. Yeah. And so we just tapped into that. And that I think really helped us. And then a couple of these bigger in Instagram, vegan Instagrammers shared our, they started seeing what we were doing and then mm-hmm. they shared our content and they were like, look at hot for food. And then that helped us because these bigger people were like, these people are so, what are the, who are these people? Like, look what they're making. So now here you are yeah. a few years in, you've got two YouTube channels that are both doing great. You've got the King community behind you. Mm-hmm. You're working, living, thriving as a freelance mm-hmm. independent producer and host is this now your your path for the foreseeable future to stay out on your own are you a youtube star or <laughs> mpncp star for life is this uh, you now well um i totally like what i'm doing but at the same time i feel like there's an expiration date on this youtube thing okay I don't know why no one said that. I just sort of feel like I can't possibly do this for 10 years, can I? Like, I can't. Right. This is maybe that 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 your past experience is coming. Like, this is I great. Think. This can't possibly last, right? That's kind of maybe what's happening. But also things are changing. It's and clear, things like, change, yeah. think about even, I mean, we've talked about it. In this time, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all of this has happened and been established as a, a real way of not just connecting with people, but mm-hmm. creating a, a career. Mm-hmm. And who knows where that's going yeah. to go. I'm very yeah. open to to those changes. Like, I'm not scared of them. I'm open to... Like, I'm like, okay, cool. I figured out how to jump from big network to digital media very quickly. Like I said, quicker than it ever took me to get into television, to like make a name for myself in television. So at that rate, you know, it was 10 years in TV and only now two years doing YouTube. You know, my second year of working freelance... My business has tripled. Amazing. You know what I mean? Like at that rate, this is going to last, what, another couple of years? And then I'll have to transition into something <laughs> yeah. else. Or am I just going to add things to my my so-called empire? I don't call myself that. But I mean, 
do I, so now is it a book? Is it a podcast? Is right. it, is it some type of guest spot on a show? Is it like, there are so many things I could do mm-hmm. and I'm really open to whatever that is, but I really want to stay on top of these changes and like be on or ahead of what's next. Like, and be in the driver's seat. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be in the driver's seat now. It's so cool that I get to do this and nobody really tells me what to do. That is my favorite thing. I do whatever I want. That is a dream. That is really the dream because in television, while I wanted to be on television for whatever reasons and, you know, that was a childhood dream, I still felt like it was always like, do what we tell you, you know? And now it's like, and I always was so angsty with that. I don't like people telling me what to do. (laughs) So for me to just be able to do what I want is what I've really always been looking for. Well, that, it's been such a, yeah. a pleasure watching you over the last few years. Like we met at a really sort of pivotal time mm-hmm. in your career. And it's been really amazing sort of watching you sort of build this on your own. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Okay. So that was Brian in conversation with Lauren Toyota, creator of the Hot for Food blog. I was really happy to sort of catch up with Lauren and I find it really inspiring because this is somebody who's obviously gone through a lot of ups and and downs in her career. And rather than give up or complain about it, she's gone out there and created a career for herself. Mm -hmm. We know it's so hard to find a a good job and to find stability in this industry, in media. Yeah, media, yeah. And now more than ever, there's only a handful of companies and they seem to get like amalgamated and amalgamated and there's like two or three now, basically. Exactly. You and I talk about this a lot um, outside of this space but uh it's def- definitely relevant to our careers so far as well yeah and even if on- honestly even if you're in with one of the big powerful players there's still going to be cuts there's still going to be so much changes. uncertainty it's always going to happen so yeah for somebody to go out there and say i'm going to create stability for myself or i'm going to to um you know take responsibility or whatever or find my audience for myself and and what I really liked her saying is just talking about wanting to control her own message or like say things that she believes in right yeah and not get typecast as a music person Mm -hmm. or even a food person like she there's as you know people were interested in a lot of things right Mm -hmm. but you get in front of a camera or you get behind a microphone and people sort of want to see you as one thing mm-hmm. um, but it sounds like that's changed a little bit yeah. which is exciting yeah so uh, i was really pleased to to see that and I, th- I really think what i i really like about it is i mean i think she speaks to a young audience and there's a lot of young people looking mm-hmm. up to her and thinking like oh here's this uh woman who's like making it on her own but really what's behind all of this behind all of the nice pictures mm-hmm. and the youtube videos and all that stuff is a lot of hard work. Yeah, and, and it is the example that we need right now. It's, yeah. it's an unfortunate set of circumstances that we are all coping with, I would say. But um, there's just no point in feeling bad for yourself. Like, you just have yeah. to deal with it. Well, it's If tough. you are passionate about yes. this. And that's the other thing is that you have to, to realize, too, is that, yes, it's tough, but we've also... There's never been so much opportunity, and there's never been so much opportunity to create something for yourself. You couldn't have done this... 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? You just couldn't have. And she's sort of come along right at the beginning of all of these these tools, right? It's what I call the Wild West right now, where basically there's endless frontiers. It's just a matter of 
setting up, setting yourself up a space and weathering the storm. And just to, to put the sweat and the hard work into it. And you can, you know, we, we were told, I think we were this generation that was told, you are special. Mm-hmm. You are, you're the most special. You can do anything you want. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's never been so true. Yeah. But what is left out of that is you have to really work hard at this. Yeah. It doesn't come for free. No, no one gives a shit about you yeah. unless you present yourself to them and yeah. like you find them essentially. And that's what she's uh, clearly done so successfully. So good for her. Mm-hmm. Okie doke. So up next, we draw on one of my old connections uh, that served as inspiration for this upcoming interview. Uh, the connection being an OG of mine, Andrea Diaz Varela, a girl who grew up on my street that I went to school with since grade one. Um, yeah, just a, a really near and dear old friend of mine. About a few months ago, I noticed her put up a post about something called the Newcomer Kitchen. And that name might sound familiar to you because we featured <laughs> it in episode 18. Yes, it was a little bit of an aside, um, but again with the connections cater toronto helped the newcomer kitchen kind of bang out an unprecedented quantity of fatire at the luminato neighborhood food festival at the end of last month and fatire is for people that don't know um the shorthand that i've been hearing is just basically like um syrian or middle eastern pizza, pizza. yeah like a syrian really pizza. delicious pizza no tomato sauce necessarily yeah. but uh lots of delicious doughy goodness so um Yeah, if you spent time at the Luminato Festival in Toronto, then you might have seen them there. Otherwise, um, yeah, we did mention it two episodes ago. So this was not the first I'd heard of them, though, when Vanessa mentioned that she was going to be working with them. As I said, Andrea was clearly connected to them through the advocacy that she does and her time off from her job at Right to Play. So as I looked into it, I learned that a storefront that I was used to seeing um, and not being able to enter what with my weirdo server schedule, um, the Depaner on College Street was giving Syrian refugees the opportunity to get out of their hotels and back into a kitchen to bond with others who are going through something similar um, and to build community here in Toronto. Wait, are we ending another season of Foodstuffs with a story about Syrian refugees? I guess it turns out that way, huh? But I mean, this just goes to show that getting settled in a new country is a process. We yeah, we're only the, six months in, Brian. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, we talked Holmes. about the Beiruti Cafe, and they were uh, able to offer uh, Syrian refugees jobs just days after they arrived in Canada and help give them some sort of emotional support as they adjusted to life in a new country. And this is another example of this. However, we'll see that this project is not only providing that kind of emotional and social support, Mm -hmm. but a real opportunity to create a successful business here in Canada. Well, let's get to it then, shall we? I met with Rahaf Alakbani and Esmail Abufakar, coordinators of the Newcomer Kitchen here in Toronto. Let's take a listen. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, the first day it was so great and it was unexpected because um, when we arrived, uh, so uh, Lynn also was a little bit afraid because he he, he did, didn't know how to communicate with the ladies, you know, yeah. it's a different language. So when we came uh, and we start to, uh, to speak uh, with him in English, <laughs> such a, oh my God, <laughs> he, he became, uh, became so comfortable and we start to talk about the project and to translate for to the ladies. And, uh, you know, he explained for us all the steps. So uh, at the beginning, um, 
it was just simple idea uh, you know because we were stuck in the hotels more than two months so just his idea was to to come to the kitchen and cook there together and we can eat the meals together and after that you can also take something to, to um, your uh, the rest of the family, family. Yeah. and uh, then now it becomes bigger so you know he starts to to sell the meals online and um, now it uh, becomes like a business and uh, all then um, starts to divide to each lady uh, amount of uh, money um, the profit, right? that's right yeah. yeah after he um, pay for the ingredients and you know right. these details and so he starts to to pay to each lady and which is uh, very very good and that's so cute yeah unexpected yeah. bonus but uh, our aim in this project not just need to use the kitchen in that time also introduce the Syrian dish mm-hmm. it's very very delicious and it's very very unique mm-hmm. that's right yeah, yeah. Well, you know there isn't any uh, Syrian kitchen or uh, Syrian especially Syrian uh, restaurant yeah. in, in Toronto here yeah and uh, it's very good to to uh, to to be these uh, dishes very known and uh, very uh, very famous yeah. and really it's very very delicious it's really it's a good smile. opportunity for us to to show our Syrian cuisine absolutely yeah. so <laughs> Len was the leader <laughs> he, had, he had the idea but yeah. then I don't think yeah. because the even in what you just said, initially it was just you coming together and getting to cook together and have a space, a kitchen. Um, and now it's grown beyond that into actually sharing with the community and selling to the community exactly, beyond yeah. it. Was mm-hmm. that his intention? Did he see that as a possibility? Or has that just come about because you're all passionate and willing and interested in sustaining the project, basically? I don't know if uh, Lynn uh, know before uh, about Syrian dishes and Syrian cuisine, mm-hmm. but um, for sure he opened uh, in front of us the doors uh, to show our cuisine mm-hmm. in, in Toronto community here. And uh, we are so uh, happy for that uh, this chance for us and opportunity. Um, uh, for sure, it's very big chance and uh, now it's gonna be like a business mm-hmm. um, yeah we wanna uh, it's 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 very very good uh, things happening uh, with us because yeah, the intention is for him for he's doing a fundraiser right now to that's right yeah, yeah. exactly exactly to um, get you up a permanent space that's big enough and yeah. and all of he that. He needs right? that. Yeah. We need yeah. that also. We need <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. You know, the kitchen, it's uh, not... Yeah, uh, we should probably... Enough. We should describe the actual space, the day planner. Can, how big is the day planner? Uh, yeah, um, it is... Um, we can say it's so, too small and it's not big, yeah. you know, uh, but um, it's good, but um, we... 
it's good maybe to to make for to 50 minutes this is the this is the capacity capacity for this kitchen but more than 50 it will be difficult for us to prepare you know because you will need more equipment more space more stores yeah and actually he didn't have that capacity oh and and something more it's we have a list for 45 women but we can't bring this number in this that kitchen and just we coordinator and facilitate to bring groups from seven to eight women every Thursday to make the Syrian cook. But there's another interesting element. So you're talking about how delicious Syrian food is, but um, what's beautiful, and Len was kind of speaking to me about this when I met him, that um, everyone is from all over the country and all over the country there's different styles. Of exactly, right. yeah. Can, yeah. You, can you explain that a little bit more and how the process of deciding the recipes and yeah. all of that? Yeah, uh, actually, you know, uh, each woman from uh, different cities. So, uh, um, in Syria, and each, from, Syria. from Syria, that's right. And each city has a, a different recipe. Uh, so when we came to the to the restaurant, uh, each lady <laughs> starts to learn also new way, add, way, add something so. to her recipe because each one has a different way how to cook, how to deal or hand with the with the food. So even the ladies when we when we uh, gather together, uh, they start to learn something new, mm-hmm. uh, new dishes and new sweets. From each city has a different dessert, for example, okay. and a fr- different recipe. So even for us, it's a good uh, chance to know and to, to learn be more. To more Syrian. <laughs> yeah, because that's the interesting thing is when you're in your own country, you know your family, you know your friends, you know the food you like to make and the way you like to make it. But it's only when you travel somewhere else and you meet other people from the same place that you are that you learn more stories exactly 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 yeah Mm -hmm. there's a range of ages as well right Mm -hmm. like there's women who are young like you and then there's some older grandmothers yeah but how does it when two people make something a different way what was the process around deciding what the recipe was going to be So uh, honestly, first of all, there is a little bit confusing because as I told you, each woman has a different recipe, a different way. And you know, the old ladies, uh, we have to respect them because uh, of course they Most have uh, they, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of skills in cooking. So we can't pass them. And <laughs> <laughs> so we have to respect their ways, how to cook and something like that. But uh, now um, we start to make, for example, uh, this Thursday, this dish for Zubaida. Mm-hmm. We have to respect her way and we have to follow her. Okay. All the ingredients that she wants to put, we have to respect her and to, cool. to so, make. Yeah. So, so because, for example, Zubaida from Damascus and the, this recipe uh, in terms of Damascus so we have and I'm for example from Sweda so you know the recipe it will be a little bit different so mm-hmm. I can for example add something that she didn't add right 
so I have to follow her and to respect her recipe and all the ladies start to uh, to help and you know to to share but in an accurate recipe right that and now the the project uh, becomes to be more professional. For sure. So if you're lucky enough to live in Toronto, and then yeah. you can go and pick it up on a Thursday night. And uh, you know, this project not just for Syrians. It's uh, for newcomers, all the newcomers. And uh, we are now newcomers, but maybe uh, later uh, the newcomers came also. Uh, yeah, from somewhere. And we want to keep this project running. Because it is, as much as the food is absolutely delicious, it's not about the food ultimately, right? Like, it's about creating community exactly. and a space. Exactly. Uh, and um, a space for the, for this community to integrate uh, in the uh, Canadian uh, community and, uh, and to create uh, opportunity for all of who... Uh, interested and uh, participating in this uh, project absolutely uh, yeah I want uh, also to add something that uh, because of this a chance makes the ladies more com- uh, confident of uh, themselves exactly. so they start to depend on the, on themselves exactly. how to to go uh, alone or uh, and Whoa. even and even uh, they uh, makes them uh, also how to communicate with the new uh, people uh, how to uh, adopt also with uh, you know this community it's mm-hmm. it's a very important point um because and also it, it makes them so happy because mm-hmm. they had fun in the in the right. kitchen plus yeah. they cooked and you know mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's very very good from many uh, sites Mm -hmm. well thank you very much for chatting with me and singing with me i really appreciate you welcome anytime (laughs) thank you thank Thank you you, thank you thank you okay so that was jess chatting with rahaf alakbani and asmail abu fakr syrian refugees and coordinators slash facilitators and in the case of rahaf a head chef as well at the newcomer kitchen at depanir on college street in toronto so you may have actually heard those those names before, not just on perhaps on episode eighteen of this show, but uh, <laughs> your on other only shows news source. Well. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> but there's a lot of people talking about this right now, and and for good reason. Yeah, exactly. In Toronto, they have been getting a lot of press, which is exciting. They deserve it. Um, we sort of referred to it in there, but they are doing a fundraiser right now, and it's the sort of thing that Len has out of the kindness of his own heart, um, opened up his space, which was luckily kind of set up to do that already. Like he had the insurance um, Mm -hmm. needed to have um, the formerly uncertified uh, food handlers in his space. Um, So it was kind of a perfect match, but obviously they've already outgrown that. Almost um, immediately, really. Which is amazing, and I'm not surprised. As someone who uh, was delighted to be able to try... Rahaf's very own kebe recipe when I went to visit them at their place. Um, it is delicious. I Everyone knows my feeling about Turkish food in particular. That does extend to, in general, Middle Eastern food. I know they are very different throughout 
the different countries and within the different countries, um, which was a part of a conversation that we didn't include here. Uh, but basically, this food is delicious. There should be a Syrian restaurant in Toronto. So they've They're- basically created the market for themselves. And it's just a matter of getting the money together to get that space. Because in reality, Len has sort of wound up in the midst of this um, right, with yeah. this responsibility. But it's not on him to to pay for that. And then, you know, um, as is part and parcel with their whole experience so far, there's been so much facilitation and um, helping people kind of get their grounding as they get used to life in Canada that um, there's no shortage of goodwill out there. So why not capitalize on that? And and then yeah, to sort of expedite this process of um, getting li- used to life in Canada, being self-sufficient, having a job, um, having a steady income, and, uh, and yeah, and feed me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's honestly, that's a great place to start because here in Toronto, we have unbelievable food from, it seems like every part of the yes. world, but... There are some parts that we don't. Yeah. And what excites Torontonians more than hearing, do you know that there's a new Turkish restaurant <laughs> or do you know there's a Syrian restaurant opening? Yeah. We don't even have proper Syrian food here. Do you want to go? For sure. Of course I want to go. And then with a story like this where it's intergenerational, there's women of yep. all ages kind of collaborating, figuring out their menu, um, deciding who will take the take the reins on any given day. Like it's just, I've, I think... Every single person would benefit from something like this, but I, you cannot underestimate the impact of something like that when you're new to a city. Love hearing these stories about uh, people sort of holding on to their, their, their culture, but also embracing, you know, embracing Canada and, and embracing sharing, the, the city. You know? and yeah. So very cool. Very cool story. Thank you. Brian, that yes. was another season of Foodstuffs. Number two in the books. Oh my goodness. But don't worry, we're going away, but we, we won't be gone. There's that very makes important. Any sense to you at all? <laughs> There's very important business being done in the form of Brian having a child, as previously this discussed. This is true. Yep. Um, so our last break was about two months. You can expect this one to be significantly longer than that but not too long and most importantly we won't be gone no we'll be around you will hear from us you will see us you'll be able to enjoy extra stuffs which are will be some of our extended cuts certainly the interview that uh, i did with uh, lauren toyota i know there's a lot of people that will want to hear the whole 48 minutes of Mm. it and we'll make that available there's other uh, sort of long cuts we also have an additional interview that I did when I was at Foodora with one of the drivers there. Um, yeah, but extended cuts of a lot of interviews. And, You'll and see more stuff. photos and all kinds of stuff like that. We Who will knows? be around. We yeah. will be in your life still. Yeah. Right? You can't completely get rid of us. That's right. <laughs> and we will be back and we will be recharged and there will be one more Goman in the world. <laughs> and uh, I will wait. be making uh, baby food in my Vitamix. Okay. And, and we'll be doing stories on Vitamixes every week. No. (laughs) I promise I'll keep them in line. Uh, But we look forward to coming back in the fall and we will stay curious about food, politics. And stuffs. And stuffs. (laughs) Thanks to Lauren Toyota 
mm-hmm. of Hot for Food and also Lauren in Real Life, which is her other YouTube channel. If you want to hear more from Lauren, you can find her on Instagram um, and Twitter at Hot for Food. And Snapchat. And Snapchat as well. And we're getting Brian into the idea of what Snapchat is, everyone. Yeah, I was like, I was on a Snapchat last week. You want to look at it? (laughs) Nobody. uh, You don't get it, do you? No, Holmes. Um, I also want to send out a big thank you to Andrea Diaz Varela, one of my OGs. Um, I will thank Len Senator as well for sitting down and chatting with me. Um, and then, of course, to Rahaf and Esmail for taking time to host me in their home and feed me delicious kibbe. I actually have a cookie for us to try as well, Brian. A date cookie oh, from oh them. God. So it's on. Thanks to Ken Stauer, Eric Betlam, Sam Petit, everybody at CIUT. It's been another great season here at Studio 2. We're so thankful to have this space. Thanks very much big thanks to you guys and thanks so much to you for listening you can reach us on instagram and twitter at foodstuffs life uh, you can find us on facebook by searching foodstuffs um, and then of course my very favorite our website foodstuffs.life which you can expect to see also revamped and turned into a real website maybe almost definitely uh, you can also subscribe to our podcast. Like I said, we won't. There won't be new episodes, but there will be extra stuff, and they will go go on that feed. So please subscribe if you haven't already. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get, you get your podcasts. And if you miss us, you can always go back and listen to more episodes there, or on our SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. I'm Brian Goldman, and I'm Jessica Walker. Quick. Happy birthday. Shout out to my sister, Katie. I love you so much. Happy birthday. Um, Have a great summer, everyone.
Thank you. <laughs>